ask you um, to bow with me now as we come to the Scripture. Our Father in Heaven, uh, Your Word is life to us. Uh, it is a means of grace. And thus, as we come, we come most certainly to honor You. Uh, in coming to this Word, we're declaring that we need Your wisdom, uh, that we need Your definition of life. We need You to tell us who it is that we are and what it is that we're supposed to do and how it is that we're supposed to do it. And so, Father, I pray that You would help us in that as we learn from Your Word that we're to glorify You and we're to love You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Indeed, we're to love other believers as Christ has loved us. So, Father, we pray that You would give us grace to know that and give us grace to walk in that. Even, Father, as we read and think about Your Word, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to John in chapter 17. John chapter 17, please. I want to read verses 20 through 26. We read these uh, last Sunday, but I want to read them again this morning uh, with a bit of a different focus. John in chapter 17, please, verse 20. Hear the Word of God. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory, that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you've sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, as we began our worship this morning, I I said that the, sort of the goal this morning of our worship is to come to this table. And that's certainly it in that sense. We're to worship God, of course, but as we progress in our worship, it, it, will, it will sort of find its culmination at, at the table this morning since this is a communion Sunday. And I said that, 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 that this will hopefully be one in the same, or at the same time better, be at the same time an expression, a declaration of our understanding that we're joined with Christ, that we're in union with Him, that we belong to God through Him. A declaration of that. But not only that, but a declaration that we belong to each other, that we're joined together with each other. So that's the declaration part of when we come to communion. That's what we're declaring, in a sense. The Scripture says that we're to declare the Lord's death until He comes. Well, the benefit of the Lord's death, if you will, is that we're united together with God through Him. And not only that, we're united together with each other. It's a communion, a common union that we share. A union with God, thus a union with each other. But there's something else. For this isn't simply a ritual, nor does anything necessarily happen automatically here, but as we come to this table 
in faith, trusting, believing, then we believe that we meet with Jesus here. This isn't the only place where Jesus is present. Obviously, he's present everywhere. And and obviously, in the life of the believer, he's present in us. And we are present with him, in him, if you will. But there's a sense of the presence of Jesus around this table that's different. Because he said, come, this is my body, this is my blood. We don't believe that the elements change so that we don't believe that as we eat and drink or as we eat what we've dipped, that we're ingesting the actual body and blood of Jesus. But we do believe that he's as close to us as this bread and juice is close to us. That he's here present with us. Thus, as we come in faith, we believe that it's not only declaring something, but we believe that we believe that he's actually doing something. That he's deepening, if you will, our intimacy with him. He's deepening, if you will, our intimacy with each other. You know how it is that when you have Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner with your family or a special meal together, there's something just about that that deepens that relationship. That when you have a meal with another person, it, it can very often deepen that relationship. You're sharing something that's, that's of the necessity of life together. Well, that's just an illustration, but there's something even deeper here as we come to this, what is known as a covenant meal. As the meal that God has given to us to declare His intentions to us, to declare His covenant to us, and to join us together, really, to declare that declaration of joining us together with Him and with each other. And so there's something mysterious, but there's something happening in the sharing of this meal together that's consistent with the covenant that God has made with us, that's consistent with His grace to us, that deepens our faith, that deepens our understanding, that deepens our relationship with Him, that deepens our relationship with each other. So what I want to do today is to walk again through this passage in a very similar way that I walked through it last Sunday, with a couple of twists, but yet in a very similar way, just to remind us of something, and then to move us to the table and, and, and come to Christ. That through this time of sharing this meal together, that He will deepen our relationship with Him and with each other. Again, it isn't automatic. We come by faith. It isn't just a ritual. We come by faith. It isn't necessarily the elements themselves. We come by faith in Jesus. As we do, we trust He will meet us here. Not only meet us individually, but meet us here for communion together. Now, this particular passage screams all of that at us. The prayer of Jesus, notice from verse 21, that they may all be one. And so the prayer of Jesus as He's going to the cross is that they would be united together. That they being uh, the, the, the combination, if you will, the joining together of those apostles who were with Jesus on that night, plus all those who would come to believe in Him through their word. And so it's a joining together, if you will, in some real sense, spiritual sense, a joining together of all believers of all time. 
And so it does transcend generations. Uh, as, we, as we had this morning in our call to worship, that Jesus redeemed people from every tribe and language, every people and nation, uh, all kinds of people from all kinds of places throughout every generation. He redeemed them. And that's this oneness that Jesus is praying about. And in that sense, this oneness has happened. When Jesus prays, his father responds, and his father always responds in the affirmative. So in that sense, this oneness has happened that transcends generations. Not only that, it transcends gender. Uh, the apostle Paul puts it like this in, in Galatians in chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, there is uh, for all of you are one in Christ. It transcends male and female. That is, it includes both men and women. Uh, it transcends slave and free. That it includes all kinds of people from every social, if you will, and economic walk of life, uh, whether one is a slave or one is free, rich or poor, educated, uneducated, every kind of person you can imagine in that regard. A Jew or Greek, it has nothing to do with ethnicity or national origin. Um, it transcends all of that, this oneness. It joins all kinds of people, if you will, together in Christ. From every tribe and tongue, people and nation joining together. And that was the work of Christ. And as Jesus was, was, was anticipating the cross, it was his desire that his work on the cross would, as he said earlier, in, as he prayed earlier in John 17, that it would give eternal life to all those the Father had given him. So as he goes to the cross, he has these in mind, those the Father had given him, to, therefore that he would give eternal life to them. And it's these that he's praying for will be one. And we read last Sunday, if you remember, I won't go there today because of time, but last Sunday in Ephesians in chapter 2, we read that Christ is our peace. He's our peace with God, and he's, he's our peace with each other. He's, because of the cross, all the hostility has been taken away. Our, the hostility that was between God and us. And there was a, a real hostility between us, a real enmity, we could say. And that real enmity was the result of our sin. That we had rebelled against God, so we didn't want anything to do with God. We had rebelled against God, thus his judgment was upon us. And so how would we ever be united? The only way to be, re, to be united is either for us not to have sinned, which is too late for that, or for God to do something. And what he did, of course, was send Jesus, who lived sinlessly, so that his righteousness could be given to us, so that we could be clothed with his righteousness. And not only that, that he would take the penalty for our sin. Thus, that hostility would be gone. And as the Spirit comes upon us, He changes our hearts so that we're no longer hostile towards Him. But we see it. We see the very love of God in Christ. And it draws us to Him. It draws us to God through Jesus, thus uniting us together. But not only that. While the cross uh, executes, if you will, um, Jesus so that the penalty for our sin is taken away so we can be united to the Father, in the same way, this crucifixion of Jesus executes our own pride. Because in coming to Jesus, what is it that we're admitting? We're admitting, again, the best we can do in and of ourselves is the condemnation of God, that we need Him. 
And so as I express that and as you express that, how is it that there can be anything really between us? How can one hold, each, hold himself or herself up above another? It's impossible. Why? Because we've already admitted our very need of one to save us. And so you see this work of Christ is our peace. Indeed, we have one Father. Uh, he was the Father of all who come to Him through Jesus. Um, John writes earlier in the first chapter uh, this. He says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of uh, blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we're, we're born of God together because of Christ. We have one Father and we're joined with Him. Notice how Jesus puts it in His prayer in verse 21. He writes, That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in Me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, that's just amazing to think about the fact that we're so joined with Christ that He would use this expression, and this expression would be used throughout the New Testament, that we're in Him and He is in us. That close, that kind of identity. Uh, when Jesus, earlier on that evening, was talking to His disciples, He said this, verse 15 of John chapter 14, If you love Me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and He'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. Do you get that? You know Him, this Holy Spirit, because for He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him, and make our home with him. And so you see this, this closeness, this identity, uh, one to the other. Second Corinthians in chapter 5 and in verse 17. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone belongs to Christ, that close, in Christ, united together with Him. In the book of Romans in chapter 6, we see the <clears throat> great value of being united with Christ. Verse 5, chapter 6 for if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like him, him, His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And he goes on. This is all verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, that close, that united to Him. You see, this, this union that we have with God through Jesus is a covenantal union. Meaning that all that was true in Jesus then falls to us. We inherit all the blessing from being united together with this One who is the very Son of God. And so all that Jesus achieved on the cross 
is for us because we're united to Him. And so having been in Christ, you see, what we receive from that is forgiveness of sins. What we receive from that is justification. That is, we receive the very declaration of God that we're right with Him, that we have the very righteousness of Christ. What we receive because of that is His Spirit to live in us and transform us, to renew us, to make us new, to conform us to the image of Christ. All of that because we're united together with Christ. We have this life that's eternal, eternal life, that not only lives forever, but lives a quality of life that's connected to God, that lives under His grace and blessing now and throughout all eternity. Uh, Not only that, but... We're joined together with each other. We're adopted into the family of God. And so having one Father together, we're to live out this life, not alone, not individually, but together. All of that, you see, the very blessing of Christ for us. He represents us. There's a great illustration of Scripture of this kind of representation. It was with King David. You remember the great story of David and Goliath. And, and, and I know that everybody, a lot of people think that little stories in the, in the Old Testament so the coaches can use it at halftime uh, of teams that are under, under skilled and outmatched and they talk about David and Goliath. It has nothing to do with that, right? Nothing to do with that at all. It has everything to do with covenant. It has everything to do with God as our protector and God as our Savior. And so that whole scene, it's set with a king to be king, David, little David, represents all of Israel. And he faces the mighty Goliath in battle. And as at that moment, being seen by God as their covenant representative, he stands before Goliath on behalf of all of his people. And so, if David wins, his people win. If David loses, his people loses. If David wins, then all the spoils that will come from that battle with Goliath will be given to his people. And that's precisely, you see, what it means to be in. At that moment in time, all of Israel was in David. And thus, those in Christ receive all the blessing that he achieved in his cross work. The very blessing of Christ. We're in Him. And so, you see, once being in Him, we're in Him together. And so once we've partaken of Him, once we've come together to be in Him, then we're also joined and united also with one another. It's a covenantal kind of union together with Christ. And not only that, of course, it's a, it's a union of faith. That is, we're joined together with Christ by faith as we trust in Him then we experience this union together. It's a sharing of life. He shares life with us. We see it most clearly in the incarnation as Jesus comes and and, and takes on flesh and lives among us as us, with us. And it's a, a spiritual union with Jesus, obviously. It's not here. We're not merged in with Him. I don't know how Joyce is going to spell that. Uh, we're, not, we're not merged with Him. But rather, it's a spiritual oneness, a spiritual union uh, together with Him. Uh, we see it right here. Jesus prays that we would be one just as He and the Father are one. 
and that they also may be in us. This is a work of the, of the Holy Spirit as He joins us together with Christ. We know it because He brings us new life. We know it because He baptizes us in one body. 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 and verse 12, the Apostle writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though, are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. So you get this sense of oneness with God, but also with each other. And this oneness that we have with each other is a result of this covenant work of Jesus. It's, it's, it's a covenantal oneness that we have with each other, that we share life with each other, that we share burdens with each other, that we fight for each other and with each other against the common spiritual enemies of our, of our very souls. We, we work all of that together. Now, the question that we asked last Sunday, and it's an important one just to reiterate very quickly before we get to the table, and that is, uh, why is it that this oneness is so important to Jesus? Well, we'll notice how he puts it in verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, this this is the apologetic, this is the evidence this is, this is saying, yes, it is true that Jesus has been sent by the Father. He has the authority to say what He said. He has the authority to do what He did. And it's really true. And the evidence of that is the oneness of people. Now, when will this be seen? When will this oneness be observed? When will this world say, yes, we believe clearly Jesus has been sent by the Father? Well, in an ultimate sense, a day will come when it will be utterly seen. For instance, uh, in Philippians and chapter 2, we read this. Verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A day will come when it will be clear to everyone. And that day is a day along off. That's at the, the, the coming of Jesus. Uh, the world will see, yes, it is true. And on that day, it will be very clear, those who belong to Jesus and those who don't, this oneness among the people of God will be seen, will be observed. And all people will say, yes, I realize now, I see it, that Jesus is the Christ. That won't bring salvation to everyone. That will simply be an acknowledgement of fact that they'll see it and they'll realize that He is the Lord. He has the right to judge. And He has the right to save. But there is to be something now 
Something observable now. Jesus has sent us into the world and He's he sent us to be His witnesses, sent us to witness to the fact that He's been sent by the Father so that people will know that Jesus is the one who has the authority to be listened to. Jesus has the authority to, to be trusted in all that He did. And so how is that oneness now to be expressed? And the answer is it's to exp- be expressed through us. That's why as we concentrated some attention last Sunday in Ephesians in chapter Four, where the apostle writes, um, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, in these days, it's to be expressed by us in relationship to each other. That's why Jesus said, By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. So he concentrated his attention upon teaching us about loving one another. He gave an example on that night. And that example was to wash the feet of his disciples, that he washed their feet. And he said, I'm giving you this example. Love one another. Serve each other. Humble yourselves to serve. Humble yourselves to forgive. Humble yourselves to be gentle. Humble yourselves to be patient. Humble yourselves to bear with each other. This isn't an option for us. This is the very testimony of Christ. And so even in the context of our own, our own lives, our own, our own fellowship, we are to be one with each other. Oh, we're distinct. We're different. The Father and the Son were distinct. In fact, we see that very clearly in this prayer of Jesus. The Father is praying to the Son. The Son is identifiable. The Father is identifiable. But yet we know that they're one. They're one in will. They're one in their ways. They're one in their purpose. They're one in their heart. They're one in their love. And we're to be one as well as they are one. What that means for us on a very practical, practical level is that we're need to understand that we're united to people. People, all kinds of people. And that we can not exclude any from our number who trust in Christ. We can't exclude people because of the way that they smell. Sometimes we exclude people because they smell too good. We don't like that. And sometimes we exclude people because they don't smell good enough. But we don't like that. And we can't exclude those who are richer than we are just because they're richer than we are. We can't exclude those people who are better educated than we are. We can't exclude those people that are poorer than we are. We can't exclude those people that are less well-educated than we are. We can't exclude people on the basis of ethnicity or national origin because they're different than we are. There's no exclusion. How is it that we could exclude any from our body? Because we belong to Christ and we're united to Him. He's the one who's joined us together. How could we tear it apart? We like to say that at weddings. We should say that at confirmations, right? How is it that we can tear apart that which the Spirit, by way of Christ, has put together? We can't exclude those who are different than we are 
people we don't particularly like. In fact, the Holy Spirit gifts us in such a way that we probably won't like each other. I mean, how many mercy people really like prophets? I mean, there's just a problem. When you get people who are geared towards a merciful gift and you put a person with a prophetic gift in the same room, whoo-hoo, you've got lots of forgiveness that has to happen in the midst of that in order for then humility for, the, for those people to get together. Or how many evangelists like administrators? <laughs> Not very well. They just don't seem to go well together. Some kinds of gifts that don't really fit well with the other, but, but yet the Spirit gifts us differently. And in the midst of that, he says, now love each other and work together as a unit, as a team, to show people that Jesus really is sent from the Father. And we have to love those people who perhaps have hurt us deeply. Could you imagine what it must have been like to be a Christian in Jerusalem and go and hear Paul the Apostle preach? As you walked into wherever it is that he may be speaking or addressing, you might look at the person beside you and say, isn't he the one who who arrested your brother? Isn't he the one who killed your father? And now there you are together, one with him. Because you share something deeper than any of that. You both have been forgiven because of Christ. And you see, there is no separation there, one from the other. Now, there was a situation in Corinth where Christians were dividing each other over the very thing that should should unite them. Certainly divided over uh, their own pride. Uh, They were coming together. And and two things were really... Well, one thing. They were coming together uh, and having dinner. And they were having dinner in the name of Christ. And their dinner in the name of Christ, though, was such that some were being fed and some weren't. Now, in that culture, what would happen when there was a dinner party or when people were invited for dinner is that there was a, generally a very significant segregation between the rich and the poor. And what seemed to be happening, even as these Christians would gather, is that the wealthier ones would come and they would be able to go in the inside in the, in the dining room where the good food was and they would eat it all up and drink all the drink and there wouldn't be any left for anyone else. Probably the poor. And when the apostle heard of this, he says, how can this be? How can this be what I've heard among you? Because he understood what this, what this, uh, what this dinner was to be. And so he instituted, Paul did, a, a different kind of meal. Notice as he presents this, verse 17 in 1 Corinthians 11. But the following instructions I do not uh, commend you because When you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. 
He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. What was the problem? The problem is they missed something. They didn't rightly discern the body. Whose body? The body of Christ. In what way? Well, in a couple of ways. Number one is, we discern the body of Christ in the meal, as, as, as Paul established it, as, as we take it today. Uh, they were coming together for a big dinner. We don't come together for a big dinner. We come together for this. He says, separate this from that. You're getting it all confused. And so, what I want you to do is to come together with bread and wine, bread and juice. And he says, I want you then to understand that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this cup to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me, for as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring when we declare the Lord's death? We're declaring everything that the Lord's death had brought. We're declaring that, yes, the very love of God was manifested among us. Yes, in the incarnation, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yes, this very one who came and died, died for us so that our sins would be forgiven, so that the wrath of God would be satisfied, so that the Spirit of God could come upon us and change our hearts and our lives and, and dwell us and all of that. We're, we're, we're declaring all that to be true. Thus, we're declaring that we are one with God through Christ. We are in Him. He is in us. But there's something else we're declaring as well. We're declaring that all those who are out on the porch eating the scraps are one with us too. And we're declaring that we can't leave them out there. We're declaring that they need to come in with us. And they need to have the same food and drink that we have. Why? Because we're all the same. We're all one together in Christ. And you see, when Jesus, or when Paul is saying their problem was that they didn't rightly discern the body, it's a little late in the sermon to get technical with you, but some translations on that verse say the body of the Lord. The of the Lord part isn't in the original text. 
We believe that Paul is being purposefully ambiguous. He's saying, on the one hand, you have to discern Jesus and all that he did. But on the other hand, discern what Paul's going to talk about in the very next chapter, which is the body of Christ, us. So here's the point for us. That in coming to this table, what we're doing is we're declaring that we understand what Christ did. We're declaring that we need what Christ did. And we're also declaring that in receiving what Christ did and joining us with Him, we've been joined together with each other. Not only that, there's something else. In the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to them again about eating. And he's talking to them about whether or not they should eat meat offered to idols. And not only that, but should they actually go to the temple and participate in feasts where sacrifices to idols have been made. And and they thought, sure, it'd be fine because we're free and all of that. Paul said, think about this for a minute. And, And he says to them this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? This bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. In other words, he's saying, there's a fellowship happening here. Something's happening. This isn't just a ritual. But as we come to this table by faith, we're identifying with Christ. We're meeting Him here. And not only that, but there's a sense in which we're participating. Again, this gets spooky. Sorry. There's a sense in which we're participating with each other. And so he says, when you come, it is a declaration, but it's more that he meets us here, Jesus does. And something happens. I can't define it, don't know what it's going to be exactly, but it's consistent with his grace. It's consistent with his cross. It's consistent with what he did. And so as we come to this table together, yes, declaring, but yet deepening. Deepening our intimacy with Him as our faith increases. As we say, yes, okay. You see, Jesus didn't leave us, leave us an 8 by 12 glossy of what He did. We don't have a snapshot headline. We don't have a snapshot of Jesus dying on the cross. He gave us this. And He said, I'll attend this. It'll be a moving picture as you come. We'll fellowship together. But he says, I'm not just inviting you. I'm inviting y'all, right? I'm inviting the whole group. Don't leave anybody out. Don't leave anybody out physically. Don't leave anybody out relationally. Come together, united, having forgiven, having loved. He invites us to come. Let's spend a moment to prepare for all of this. Let me ask you to bow. I'm going to give you just a minute or two of personal, private reflection of discerning the body. First, 
the body of Jesus. Do you get it? Do you understand what, what He did? And who you are because of what He did. United together with Him. All the blessings conferred to us come through Him. But you also understand that it means you're united to believers. And let's face it, you like some of them, I like some of them, we like some of them, we don't like others of them. For whatever reason. Be honest about that in these next few seconds. Admit it. Forgive them. Confess your sins even against them. If there's a breach in relationship that's known, go to them. Purpose to go to them later. Father, I ask on our behalf that you would make real to us all that is present before us. You've given us this Sacraments, you've taken these plain things, common things, and sanctified them at this moment, set them apart to remind us of the presence of Jesus, to remind us of all that He has done, to remind us that we're joined with God through Him, to remind us that we're one with each other. So I pray, Father, uh, that you would forgive us for not loving each other. Not only those perhaps in this room, but other believers and maybe others throughout the world. Not loving various kinds of people whom you've saved. I pray, Father, that we would be granted grace on this day to go from here deeply loving each other, committed to one another, so that the world could see through us Jesus has come, that reconciliation has been made. So all the problems in life that we see that are caused by sin, perhaps, Father, we would be a community where people would look in and say, ah, that is a community of peace. Father, I pray that in these moments you would set apart this bread, set apart this juice, so that we might, through this meal, know the very presence of Christ. Draw us more deeply intimate with Him through it. Draw us more deeply intimate with each other through it. And the mystery 
of your grace. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you come, I remind you that this table is not the table of Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but it's the table of all those who understand themselves to be sinners in His sight without hope except in His sovereign mercy. We believe and receive upon the Lord Jesus Christ as He's offered to us in the Gospel as Savior, the Savior of sinners. And we desire, therefore, to live a life that's consistent with being a follower of Christ that is one who trusts deeply in Christ and one who desires to live in love with brothers and sisters, others whom He has saved. If that's true for you, let me ask you to come. These two sections can come down. So to my left, these two down the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and as you do, allow to go off on your head uh, this. I'm united to God with all those He has saved. Please come.
Table, Jesus, thank you. 